I want to introduce to all of you Carrie DeBerg. Uh, Carrie is, uh, is a member of Orchard Hill Church, and she doesn't spend a whole lot of time in this room on Sunday mornings because she's over at Lincoln Center. And as a matter of fact, her husband, Al, uh, that's his home church. It is. Yeah. He, he grew up here, grew up there. His mom and dad grew up there. Is Absolutely. that right? And you've been attending Lincoln Center ever since you guys, well, even before you guys got married, right? Yes. Since yeah. I've been 15. Since you've been 15. Mm-hmm. So um, welcome to the gym. Thank welcome you. to the community center. Thank you. We're, we're so glad that you are one of the brave ones here that have, have uh, said that you would yeah. share with us. You wanted to share with us. And, Absolutely. And we're so glad. We're waiting anxiously for what you have to say. Thank you. So thanks, Carrie. I just want to start by saying it's only by grace. If you have ever heard um, people speak about grace, that's the reason I'm here. My story begins on December 21, 1960. I was the third child born to the parents of Jack Alphys and Shirley Catherine Craft Day. I have an older brother, Derek, an older sister, Terry, sisters Angie, Jill, Kathy, Michelle, and a younger brother, John. I also had two sisters who passed away in infancy, Judith, who lived for a few days, and Sharon, who was a stillborn infant. For as far back as I can remember, my childhood was not one of happiness or faith. From a young age, we were made to do physical and hard labor on the farm. When I was five years old, I had to get up every other morning at 4.30 a.m. to help carry milk to the milk house from the barn. When my sister Angie was a little older, she and I traded every other morning, and my two older siblings had to get up every morning. Chores consisted of milking, mowing, feeding baby calves, cleaning gutters, pitching manure, taking care of the garden, baling hay and straw in the summer. And that was just the outside work. We also had to help in the house with preparing of meals, doing dishes, cleaning, and caring for our younger siblings. We were not allowed to have any fun. My mom was a very submissive and withdrawn woman. My father was a very controlling, hateful, abusive man. And that is the nicest thing I can say about him. There was not a lot of days in my younger years that I can remember not being hit, beat with a belt, or kicked just because it made him feel good. I remember once being beat with a belt because I didn't make the bed right. None of us were exempt from the beatings. We were not allowed to attend family gatherings. And after a while, family stopped visiting us because they felt very uncomfortable around us. All of our clothes were either handmade by my mom or hand-me-downs. We never had money for anything or any extras. We were not allowed to watch any television. The closest we ever got to a television was to get up or come from doing chores to turn the television channel for my father. I often look back on those years and wonder how many teachers, or better yet, PE teachers, could see the bruises, talked about it, but never did anything. We grew up with commodities from the government, butter, apple juice, rice, and many other commodities. In those days, a person from the government would come out and check your supplies to see how much they could give you. I remember my dad telling me to hide some stuff so we could get more the next time. While there are many ways to cook rice, and I believe my mom tried them all, to this day I will not eat rice in any form or in anything. I have never cooked it for my family which is very strange because all four of my children truly love it. We were known as the dirty or smelly kids growing up because there were more times than I can count. We would go straight from the barn to the school bus with manure on our legs and shoes. We only had one pair of shoes and one pair of boots to have. 
Many times we had to stay home from school to babysit the younger siblings when mom had another baby or wasn't able to care for us. As you can imagine, parents told their children, don't play with them, and kids would stay away. My aunt would cut our hair, or we would do it ourselves. We never owned a toothbrush or sometimes couldn't even find a comb to comb our hair. I learned at a young age that kids, and yes, even adults, are very cruel. Needless to say, my sisters are and always will be my very best friends. We moved around a lot, moving from one town to the other where my dad could find a dairy farm to move the cows to. We moved to Nashua, Riceville, back to Nashua, where he filed bankruptcy, selling all cows, and secretly moving to Dyke so the creditors could not locate him. I tried hard to keep my mind busy. I was gifted in the academic part of school, but I was and still am the most uncoordinated one in our family. I remember my kindergarten teacher coming to visit my mom because my parents could never attend conferences or would never attend conferences, and she wanted to visit with my mom about what she called my gifts. There was never praise given or birthday celebrated. At Christmas time, there was maybe one gift or one gift for all of us girls to share, sometimes a Barbie doll. I remember one Christmas getting a Barbie doll for all of us girls to share and asking something, and I got hit with that Barbie doll, and it broke. I remember them feeling bad for breaking the Barbie doll. They tried to glue the head back on, but never telling me they were sorry for hitting me. I really don't remember when things turned from bad to worse. I think it was a gradual and consistent hold the devil had on my dad. I truly believed that my dad was the devil incarnate. The years in Riceville are the most vivid memories about when the beatings and abuse really escalated. If we weren't fast enough on loading hay, pitching manure, milking cows, or Mr. Weed in the garden, there would be consequences to pay, which meant another heinous chore, beating with a belt, his fist, whatever tool he had in his hand, or a boot to the back end. To that end, I became very mouthy and strong-willed. I would try to always take the brunt or be the first line of defense of my siblings. As many of you know, being the first line of defense isn't always advantageous to your body or your psyche. I believe that molded me into the strong-willed or controlled person I am today. I told myself that no one was ever going to take control, have control, or take advantage of my defenseless person again. I remember the last time my father ever hit me, and that was when I was either 16 or 17 years old, and he punched me in the face because I didn't put the dishes away right. I bruised, and my mom told him he couldn't hit me anymore because people would question where it came from. To this day, I have nightmares about that, not because of the punch, but because I wished I would have hit him back. I was very strong-willed and mouthy, and I truly believe it got to him because I didn't care how many times he beat me or abused me in other ways. I wouldn't cry. I would just look at him with all the hate I could muster in my stare. That is a little bit of the background on how I was molded into the person I am today. The first time I remember hearing about God was when a pastor from a small church in Leroy, Minnesota, took an interest in our family when we lived in Riceville. He would come and visit and ask my father if he could take us to Sunday school. My dad wasn't going because he told him he already knew he was going to hell. He would come and visit and ask my father if he could take us to Sunday school. My father would only allow this if we had our chores done. There were times they made the trip out to get us and we couldn't go because we didn't have our chores done. That is where we learned church songs. We would sing them in the car on the way to Sunday school and in Sunday school. I think of the courage it took those people to come to our farm, stand in the barn in their Sunday clothes, 
to ask my father if they could take us to Sunday school. We moved from Riceville back to Nashua, and I was allowed to go out for cross-country my freshman year. My sister Terry and I both ran cross-country. Not one time did my parents ever come to a meet or support us in schoolwork. In fact, if we did not do something right or that my father thought worthy, he wouldn't even let us go to the practice or to the meet. If we weren't fast enough, he would hear about it or read about it. He was very mentally and or physically abusing. After my freshman year, we moved to Dyke. I was 15 years old. I truly believe that's what saved me. I had to ride the bus, and there was this young man who had a car, but he got caught for speeding when he was 16, so he had to ride the bus. Because one of his friends told him there was this new girl. She's okay, just not very pretty. And he wanted to see for himself. Well, I think he liked me. Down the road from us lived a family, Burl and Bernice Dodd. Their daughter, Diane, was one year older than me, and she would give me a ride home from cross-country. We were only allowed to go out from one sport, and that is the sport I chose. She invited me to church because this boy attended that church also. Little did I know this would become my church for the next 37 years. My family life with my parents continued to down, spiral downhill at a fast pace. Before we moved to Dyke, my brother Derek had just turned 18 a year before and he left home, which was the legal age at that time to leave home without parents making you return. My sister Terry moved with us because she wasn't 18 until July 2nd. She lived in Dyke for one month and she left the day she turned 18. My dad became very angry after this. He started doing illegal things. He would buy cars and turn back the odometer and sell them for a fast buck, which he would either drink or gamble away. He got a job at John Deere, which we got health insurance. We were able to go to the dentist for the first time, but he soon gave that up to turn a fast dollar by not working, doing illegal activity. When things didn't go right, he was very angry and everyone would pay. At this time, he started drinking heavily and would be picked up many times for OWI. There were many times he ran from the law, and I really don't remember what caused him to be arrested the final time and sent to prison for many years. My most vivid memories are of our family name in the headlines in bold print in the Grundy Register. Burl and Bernice Dodd continued to take me to Lincoln Center with them. They would also take my younger sister, Kathy. I continued to form a relationship with this young man who had become my boyfriend. During this time, I continued to run cross-country, but also got a job at the local grocery store. I walked beans in the summer, detasseled, and babysat. I continued to excel in academics at school, but knew I would never be an athlete. I still had a major coordination problem. I saved enough money to buy my first car for my brother Derek for $500. Imagine the freedom it gave me. I could continue to work in the local gas station, let me charge my gas until I got paid. When we moved to Dyke, my mom got a job working third shift at the nursing home in Rhinebeck as a CNA. She had no driver's license and needed help getting to work and back home. My boyfriend and I would a lot of times take her to work and pick her up in the morning because she had no way home. My mom liked nursing and found solace in it and continued her education at Hawkeye Community College, getting her LPN license. She continued her education later, getting her RN license. During this time, my mom became stronger in her worth and divorced my father. During my senior year in high school, my boyfriend and I decided to get married. I think it was just a mutual decision, no big moment. On September 22, 1979, at the age of 18, I married my best friend, Alan DeBerg. I remember telling my mom that I didn't want my dad to attend, and she said that if I didn't have him, she also wouldn't come. So I relented because I wanted her there. After marriage, Al and I moved to an acreage five miles west of Dyke 
close enough to my husband's parents because Al raised pigs and farmed with his dad. Shortly after that, my in-laws bought a farm one mile northwest of Dyke, and Al and I moved there. I continued to be close to my siblings, helping them whenever I could. I grew more diligent in standing up for my siblings because I knew there was nothing my father could do to me. I helped them out whenever they needed it, and sometimes even when they didn't need it. I aided my mom in her divorce, helped with her bills when I could. My husband was very supportive, though not quite not understanding the depth of my desire to help out. I continued to attend Lincoln Center and tried to be as active as I could. I taught Sunday school, Bible school. My sister Angie and I led the Calvinette group of girls. I joined Bible study. Later on, I began to lead the Bible study to our sunshine group of ladies. All these helped with my faith journey, but I don't think there was ever an awe moment because I was still so hardened in my heart. My marriage to Al is a great union of souls. They say opposites attract, and let me tell you, Al and I are very opposite. He is the kindest man and never wants to say a crossword to anyone or about anyone. That is a product of his upbringing. He was raised in a very Christian household. I was blessed with Christian in-laws who accepted me for who I was and where I came from. We were 18 and 19 when we married and just 20 when our first child was born, Jennifer Lynn. In 1984, our son James Allen was born. I thought my family was complete. Little did I know the Lord had others' plans. In 1987, Jeremy Lee was born, and to our surprise, 15 months later, Janice Joe was born. Raising four children is very costly, and when farming and hogs were so bad, my husband worked in town. He worked third shift at St. Clair Elevator in Parkersburg for nine years. I know that I didn't help with the money as much as I should have because I didn't understand that you couldn't always buy because you wanted it. My husband quit working at Sinclair Elevator on a Thursday, and on a Sunday I was helping him trim a tree so we could load hogs out that night. He was in the loader with the chainsaw cutting branches, and I was in the tractor. This was an OSHA accident waiting to happen. As you can imagine, I've already heard, I hit the wrong switch. Instead of lowering the bucket, I hit the switch to dump the bucket and drop my husband out of the loader. He was approximately seven feet in the air with a chainsaw going. And as Dr. Delbridge put it, when people our size fall, something always breaks. My husband broke his back, had surgery, and was in a back brace for six months. Our oldest son, James, took a semester off of college from Iowa State to come home and farm and help with the pigs. This was an experience I will never forget. I don't think I've ever prayed more or harder in my whole life. I am not a person who cries easily or cries at all. In the last 35 years, I can only remember crying three times. Once when I hit and killed the neighbor's dog, when our son Jeremy was born with a birth defect, and when my mom died. I gradually grew closer to my mom through the years. I began to understand she did not have it easy at all. She just didn't know how to handle life. I began to appreciate how hard it was for her raising eight kids when I had kids of my own. She grew stronger and loved nursing. She loved nursing to the elder generation, always worked in nursing homes. When she got cancer in April of 2004, it was a shock to us, though not a surprise. She developed lung cancer and was always a heavy smoker. Mom was very sick through all of this and died suddenly in January of 2005. I remember my brother John calling my dad in prison to let him know Mom had died. Just imagine the irony of this. This man, who had done nothing good with his life, was alive. 
and the person who sacrificed for her children had died. I think another part of me hated him even more for that. Shortly after that, my dad had a stroke which left him disabled, and the prison did not want to care for him. So they put him in the assisted living facility in Nashua, Iowa. I think they chose Nashua because my brother John was close, and my dad always favored John above all. I was determined to hold strong and not see him or even acknowledge his presence. It had been 20 years since I had last seen him. One Sunday afternoon, after the baptism of our granddaughter, my sister Jill and I decided we were going to Nashua to see my aunts and uncles who had come from Clark, South Dakota, to see my father. We were going to have supper with them at my brother's cabin in Ionia. We were too early, and they were still at the facility visiting him. My sister Jill wanted to stop, and I did not. All of my siblings had been to visit him already, and he didn't recognize many of them. I was going to stay in the van, but I decided to buck up and go in. I went into the room, which was full, and stayed near the back of the room. I would not have recognized this man if I had passed him on the street. He didn't recognize my sister Jill, but when he spotted me, he stood up, held out his hand, and said, Carrie Lou, it's been a long time. I honestly believe the Lord was in the room that day. Something happened inside of me. I think that a weight just lifted off my shoulders. And I honestly believe my heart opened. I just saw this sad old man sitting in a nursing home with no life. I didn't see him as this hateful man who could wield such power with his words and hands. I have no more hate for him, but I also have no love for him. Maybe regret for the way he lived his life. I read somewhere that people recognized the ones they hated the most, and I believe this to be true. He truly hated me. I recognize that now as an adult. I don't visit him a lot, but I do try once in a while. I have taken him cookies and books and out for lunch, all very superficial. I often pray for the right words to say. I want to visit with him about his soul sometime, and I don't know if I will ever get the courage to do so. Our children continue to grow and become adults. Our oldest daughter, Jen, attended Iowa State University, graduating with a degree in chemical engineering. She is married, lives in Marion, works at Rockwell, and has blessed us with two wonderful grandchildren, Olivia and Anthony. We couldn't have asked for a nicer son-in-law than Tony. James also attended Iowa State University, graduating with a degree in safety engineering industrial technology with an emphasis in OSHA. Just imagine the grief he gives his father. He lives in Ottumwa, and works for Cargill. Jeremy graduated from Iowa State University with a degree in chemical engineering. He has a very nice girlfriend, now fiancé of five years, Kara. They are getting married on August 3rd of this year. As many of you know, kids will always surprise you, just when you think you haven't figured out. He and his fiancé blessed us with a beautiful granddaughter last July, Madeline Lee. Our youngest daughter, Janice, graduated from the University of Iowa, once again, imagine three cyclones and one hawkeye. And when I say they bleed it, they do. And is a preschool teacher in the Cedar Rapids schools. She dated a guy for three years who cheated on her many times. She forgave him and then became pregnant with her, his child her senior year of college. She chose life. She has also blessed us with a beautiful little granddaughter, Aaliyah Ray. She knows being a single parent is not going to be easy, but her faith continues to be an inspiration to me. I need to be reminded of this sometimes because a young Carrie comes out 
who is so bitter and hateful. This is not who I want to be. I believe that if I would have not forgiven this old man for the things he had done to me as a child and still had the power through memories to mold my adult life, I would not have been strong enough to handle the two surprises my younger children blessed us with. I am one who likes control and to know what is going to happen next. The Lord has truly blessed me to understand that he is in control, not me, and he does have a plan. If you would have asked me years ago if any child could survive all venues of abuses, I would have said no. It is only through prayer, forgiveness, and the power of the Holy Spirit that one does not allow this to rule your life or future actions. I have an awesome family, and by the grace of God, we're all still together, and we just love each other. So I'm going to share some slides of my, my family this is my, my entire family. It's, we grow bigger all the time. So this is kind of a, at my brother Derek's wedding. The next slide is of my brother Derek and his family, my sister Terry and her family, my sister Angie and her family, my sister Jill and her family, my sister Kathy and her daughter, my sister Michelle's family, my brother John and his two children. It's just an awesome family, and I honestly believe the merging of Lincoln Center with Orchard Hill has strengthened my faith, and I continuously look for ways to help me in my journey. I work in the Cedar Falls Schools Administration Center, and as you all know, it's been a very hard year there this year. But I work with a wonderful group of Christian friends. I have a mentor and a friend who is a great faith inspiration to me. But my greatest faith inspiration is my sister Angie. She is and continues to be someone who I admire in her faith and love of the Lord. She is one who will tell me, Lou, knock it off, or tell me if I'm on the right path. Joining Orchard Hill has enabled me to grow in faith and knowledge, and the opportunities to build upon that faith are endless. When I first took the Emerging Journey class, led by Ted Hamer and Sue Trunk, who also helped tremendously in my faith journey, I remember sharing my personal life verse of the Bible, which had the most meaning to me, was Romans 8.28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Someone asked me if I thought maybe people use this verse too freely. I believe this could be so. But for me, if I didn't believe this was my biblical foundation, I could have never survived the monster under my bed growing up. I never imagined how God is whispering to me throughout this entire journey. The month of April is known as Child Abuse Prevention Month. I was not aware of this fact before Dave asked me to share my life story. Before I end, I want to share a few facts with you. One in three girls and one in five boys will be the victim of child abuse before the age of 18, and more than 78% of reported child abuse is caused by one or more of the child's victim's parents. If you suspect an abusive situation, you need to report it. And always remember, if you are the victim of abuse, it is not your fault. You need to tell a trusted adult. And with God, you can overcome your past. Our God is awesome. Just listen to the words of Jesus in John 16:33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Thank you for allowing me to share my faith journey with all of you.
Thank you. Thanks, Carrie, so much. Um, I've had a chance to, to read your your story mm-hmm. um, before this morning uh, a few times, and and there was a, a, a verse that struck me because I it, it seems to me as though your story is one of breaking from uh, a, a broken past, a mm-hmm. sinful past, an environment that was painful and harmful and hurtful, and 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 breaking that that hold that it had on you in your life mm-hmm. um, so that you could live a different way. Absolutely. And the generations coming after you could live a different way too. Mm-hmm. And there's this amazing verse um, in Psalms um, that I remembered. It, it's Psalm 79 verse 8. It says, Do not hold against us the sins of past generations. May your mercy come quickly to meet us for we are in desperate need. And there was those moments in your life where you were in desperate need. Mm-hmm. But God showed up. Uh, God mm-hmm. showed up through through positive relationships, right? Absolutely. I mean, friends, some of your siblings, mm-hmm. um, Al, his family, yes. uh, your family that you mm-hmm. have, your kids, mm-hmm. you know, growing up, how they've helped you they to continue to grow. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's just such a, such a beautiful thing. You said... Um, uh, in a way that, that you learn this new way of living, um, living without fear, living without control. And you talked about how so much of it came from prayer and forgiveness and the power of the Holy Spirit, I think, were your words. Absolutely. Yeah. And as, as siblings, we've all talked that there was never, and we've all talked many times, that we were never going to raise our families as mm-hmm. we were raised. Yeah. I think just talking amongst us has broken that cycle of abuse. Yep, yeah, yeah. And I just think that... Um, those pictures of you being able to to love and to forgive your mom and develop mm-hmm. a different relationship with yes. her, uh, that picture of you being in the room with your dad mm-hmm. and your family, what a powerful picture, and how that is still still a journey of, it is of still a healing journey. and and wholeness. You know, mm-hmm. we don't none of us come on a Sunday morning complete. You know, all fixed and all mm-hmm. good. Um, we can dress up pretty nice, you know, but we're all we're all on this journey. Mm-hmm. Of, of becoming fully devoted followers of Jesus. And now you just have this great opportunity Absolutely. to invest in others, in your kids, in your grandkids, and mm-hmm. others around you as a leader, mm-hmm. really, I think, in your, in your church. So, in our church, out at Lincoln Center. Yeah. Thank you. So thanks, Carrie. I want to pray for Carrie. I want to pray for us, too, because I know that there are many of us here this morning who, who heard something, who were touched by what she had to share. So let's, let's pray. God, thank you for Carrie's story. Um, so much to be grateful for. And I, I just thank you for your grace, that your mercy met her at a point of desperate need. And that something new began in her, the possibility of new way of living. And that since that moment, she has come to know you and your love and your grace. It has changed her. It's transformed her. It's even allowed her to be able to consider forgiveness. And I really do think that our ability to forgive others is directly linked with our understanding of your forgiveness of us. Um, so thanks for that power in her life and, and how you have marked her as your own today the bright light that she's been this morning in this room. And I know that many of us have been touched by what she has said. 
So um, whatever work you're doing in our lives as a result of that, continue to do it, God. Continue to do it. Uh, Bring healing and bring hope and bring peace to us. If we are in situations of harm, um, protect us and bring people into our lives that can help us. So thank us, thank you this morning for Carrie's story. Um, I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.